announcements uh, before we get started. First announcement is today uh, we're doing a Redemption Dads meeting. That means if you are a dad and you go to Redemption Church, this meeting is for you. Okay, we're going to meet right here. The location changed to right here at the Orpheum last minute. It's going to be here at 1 o'clock and it's going to go till 2.30. So Redemption Dads, uh, come to that right here at 1. If you... Uh, if you're a redemption dad here and this is the first you're hearing of it, please feel welcome to join in. And so right here at 1 o'clock, Redemption Dads meeting where we kind of just talk about what does it mean for us to be dads in this church. Um, <clears throat> second announcement is Hannah Ware is setting up uh, this car wash on August 15th from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. It's going to be at Sonic on Butler. Okay, there's a couple different Sonics, believe it or not, in Flagstaff. It's the one on Butler. And she's doing this to raise money for Operation Christmas Child. And she, after service, in the back at the table, you're going to see uh, uh, sign-ups. You can sign up to help and wash cars. You can sign up just to give her some buckets and sponges. Um, or you can just give her a lot of money for Operation Christmas Child right now. And so... She's raising money to do that. If you don't know what Operation Christmas Child is, you can ask Hannah in the back, because um, I kind of do. And, uh, and she'll answer any questions you have. Ah, so, that's it for announcements. Let's get started. Does, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Uh, we have plenty of Bibles here. Don't feel awkward. Raise your hand. I know it's awkward to raise your hand in church. I wouldn't do it, but I'm going to make you guys do it. If you don't own a Bible, you get to keep this Bible. And... Uh, if you do own a Bible, though, just put it on the side back there somewhere on your way out. All right. So when I was a kid, I, I was one of those kids that hated, like, kiddie stuff, right? Like, I, I hated doing the kid things, right? Like, my mom always laments at how when she would give us Christmas presents, I would be like, oh, thank you. Like, not that excited, right? I wasn't the kid that was, like, ripping open the present and be like, I love my life, right? I was ungrateful. And, but besides that, I noticed it in my own life as a kid, and I recognized it in myself, is I just hated kid-like stuff. Like, you know, at church, a very common thing is on Palm Sunday, they give a bunch of the little kids, like, giant, sharp, jagged palm trees, and they come into the front, and they're waving them and doing all that. When I was a kid, I was like, I am not about that. Like, I was like, I hate this. Don't make me do it. And all the time, whenever, I remember too, one time, and I, I don't know what grade I was in, but uh, th- at my school, we had to do like this, uh, we had to do like a sing-along or something for our parents. And I remember being like, they're like, what part do you want? And I was like, I want the part where I don't have to sing at all. Is that a part? Like, I legitimately said that. And, uh, and so I've never liked kiddie stuff that much. And, the, you know, my sister's here, so I'll be honest, I did play with action figures until I was 14. But besides that, besides that, I didn't like kid stuff. Even today, if I go to Disneyland, I'm just angry the whole time because <laughs> I'm just like, I want to crush everything here. Like, I just, yeah, that's how I feel. I have a dark heart. And, uh, and the reason I t- say all this is because today, Jesus is going to tell my heart to be childlike, which, is, which sounds scary to me because, I, like I said, I want to crush everything at Disneyland. And so let's get into it. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Go ahead, turn your Bibles there. Mark chapter 10. All right. So last week, Jesus taught on divorce. He's kind of been teaching us these, these discipleship issues for our heart lately, and he's going to keep doing that today. 
So we're going to be in verse 13. Let's just get into it. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to, to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Okay, so these, these kids are bring, being brought to Jesus, and it sounds like their parents are saying, Jesus, can you bless my kid? And as I was doing some study here, I realized that word there for children could even be the word for babies. So it was probably kids, but it could even be some, like, you know, babies. I have a one-and-a-half-year-old right now, so I kind of imagine my little toddler, like pe- people taking kids like her up to Jesus. And the disciples, they're like, stop it. And, and it says they rebuked them. I, these disciples really overstepped their bounds with rebuking, if you've, if you've noticed lately. And so they, they're saying, don't do that. And, and Jesus is like, chill out. And, and Jesus does a classic Jesus move where he flips it on the disciples and makes them feel bad about themselves. I love it. And he, sa- he says them, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. And I just imagine Jesus might be holding a child or hugging a child or whatever while he's saying this. And when he says that, the disciples, I'm sure, get worried, and I get worried because I go, man, I hate all these kiddish things. And the disciples get worried because they go, we hate kids, right? They, 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 well, clearly, they're like, get away from us. But I don't, what does Jesus mean? Does he mean like, you know, you should, you know, when you eat, just like rub spaghetti all over your face? Or like, I, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying become a literal child. But I think to understand what Jesus means, we have to see how did the people of that time view children. And really, mostly, they saw these kids as a burden, right? They saw these kids as as helpless. They saw these kids as not being able to provide for themselves. And I I read one text that said childhood for the Jewish people at that time was just a stage between birth and adulthood. And it was like a stage they hated, right? And so, you, you know, you've heard the... Uh, the saying, like, be seen but not heard, right? I think then it was like, don't be seen and don't be heard, right? Like, they did not like kids because they thought kids were so help, helpless. And I think it's this idea of, of, of the kids' helplessness that Jesus is honing in on here. I think it's Jesus is honing in on this idea that, that we also need to realize that we are helpless like these kids, right? Kids, kids are completely helpless, right? Like I said, I have a one and a half year old. We just transitioned into letting her try to drink out of a cup, right? So first she has like a bottle, then sippy cup, which is like impossible to spill, except for, for my daughter. And, and now cup, right? And she freaks out if we don't give her a cup. So I'm giving, I give her a cup and I gave her a little bit more water than I normally do. Cause I'm like, she's been doing so good lately. And she picks it up and I'm like across the kitchen, like getting the rest of her lunch ready. And she just looks at me and she's just like, dumps it. I'm like, no, no, no. And she's, and I said, spare the rod, spoil the child. No, I'm just kidding. She's one. She's one and a half. I said, no. And she's just so helpless. She doesn't even know what's going on. And afterwards she gets out of, the, out of her, uh, whatever that thing is, her chair. And uh, she's just walking like this because she's soaked. I made her do that for a while. No, I just kidding. I changed her right away. 
But kids are helpless, right? They, they can't clothe themselves. They can't feed themselves. They think just dumping a cup of water on them is appropriate. They can't use the bathroom cor- correctly, right? They can't. They completely look to a, their, their parents and adults around them for help, for, for providence even, to, to provide for them, right? And so I think Jesus wants us to see ourselves as kids. Jesus wants us to see ourselves as helpless before him because too often I think Jesus thinks we see far too much security in ourselves. Right, so again, this week, it was a big week for Amelie. Um, we had, I had this lamp in the living room that I was trying to sell. It was a big, tall standing lamp. I was laying on the couch and out of the corner of my eye, I saw the lamp just start to fall, right? And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa! And, which is good, like four years ago, it would have been different, um, what I said. So sanctification is real. And, and so I go, whoa, 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 and it breaks, shatters everywhere. And, and Amelie is just amidst the, like, glass shatterings everywhere. And she just freezes. And she just looks at me like, help, right? And, and as soon as she sees, like, me coming towards her, she, like, runs towards me. I pick her up before any glass could hit her feet. And... And then she keeps seeing the lamp broken, and she goes, I broke it. I broke it. Just like traumatized. I broke it. I broke it. And she's like crying. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. And then it's funny because we put it out on our front patio for like the rest of the week. Every time we went somewhere, she's like, I broke it. I broke it. (laughs) It would be like days later. I broke it. I'm like, yeah, you did. You did. But I think that Omelie's reaction to that situation is the exact reaction that God wants us to have. Like, Omelie right there, she broke that lamp. She knew something was wrong. And she froze, and she just looked for me, saw me, and then just reached out towards me. She knew she couldn't do anything. She knew she was helpless. She knew that she broke it. And I think this is the heart that God wants us to have in regards to him. Right? This, I think this is the heart that God wants us to have when we view ourselves the way God views us. We need to see that we're helpless. And that, like the disciples in the story, they didn't see themselves as helpless. They saw themselves as these guys that had it together, these guys that were like Jesus' select, that, that these guys that could bring Jesus' mission through the earth. And so that's why they were rebuking these kids going away. And Jesus says, no, that is the wrong kind of heart to have. I want you to have a heart like these kids. I want you to have a heart like these children. I think day in, day out, we need to see ourselves as helpless before our creator. And I don't think we do this. I think, I think in theory, there's a lot of ideas in the Bible where we go, yeah, totally, totally, totally. But in reality, we, we don't really believe these things. Because just think about the last time you were in trouble. The last time something went wrong in your life. Something really wrong that you just couldn't fix. What was your first thought? Was your first thought, man, I need to run to God saying, God, I, I, I broke this. I broke it. I broke it. Like, is that your response? Or maybe the last time you just felt so depressed or so emotionally in pain, do you run to God and say, God, pick me up, hold me, let me know that I'm yours? Do we, do, do we like children, look to God for everything? Do we look to God for our every move? Do we realize how helpless we are? we are. And I think we don't. I think we, one, I think it's our human nature to want to solve everything on our own. And I think, two, culturally, we, we always hear, like, you just gotta, you know, push through it, dig through it, do this. 
And Jesus is saying, I don't think you can push through it. Jesus is saying, I think I want your heart to be like a child because I think that's really what we look like in God's eyes. And so I think Jesus is in the business of, of trying to convince us that we truly are helpless, especially in regards to our salvation. I think Jesus is in the business of convincing us that we need to have tri- childlike hearts and we need to view God as our Father. And, and what we see in the next story is he, he continues this idea. He, he's doing everything he can to make sure that, that we understand that we are helpless, that we need God. So in verse 17, Jesus has another encounter where we see how he, Jesus' goal is to help this man realize that he needs to have a more childlike heart. Verse 17. And he was setting out on his journey, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Let's pause there before we go into the main plot of the story. So a lot of people, they look at this and they go, oh, Jesus doesn't claim to be God right there. Like someone said that he was good and he's like, oh, only God is good. And it sounds like Jesus isn't claiming to be God. But what we have to remember is, if you remember in other parts of Mark, Jesus would do this crazy miracle and then what would he tell the people? He would say something like, hey, don't tell anyone I healed you right? And we learn that he was doing that to, to kind of hide his identity as the Messiah in some way, so that, that the Jewish people, especially the Pharisees, wouldn't say, oh, this guy is committing blasphemy. He is, he is saying that he is God, and so Jesus knew his time was not yet. He knew it wasn't time for him to be delivered over to the cross yet. And so I think that's what Jesus is doing here. And besides what we also see in the Gospels is Jesus is constantly choosing to forego his own glory and give glory to God the Father. Now they are one, but, but they have this intimate dance where they are also three distinct people, God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And so I can't explain that, but I do know that I think in this instance Jesus was, was trying to, to not publicly commit blasphemy, because he wouldn't be, but uh, so that the Pharisees wouldn't just try to kill him that day. So I think that's what's going on there. Um, let's continue. Uh, verse 19. You know, so this man runs up to Jesus, and Jesus, and he says, how can, how can I be saved? What, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So we get this guy who, who thinks Jesus is legit. He runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, how do I in- inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, okay, well, you know, you know the commandments, right? You know all the commandments, and he just lists them out. And, and, and the guy, it sounds arrogant, but I don't think it was arrogant. I think he was maybe naive at best, but I think he was just saying, no, Jesus, I, I've done this. Like, I, I, I've, I, I, I haven't murdered anybody. That was easy. I haven't done this, and I haven't done this since I, from my youth. I haven't done any of these things. And then I love what it says. 
It says that Jesus loves him. Jesus loves him. And in the Greek, that word love, and if you don't know this already, other languages have multiple words for love. Like we just have love, so it's terrible, right? When you like like someone and then you maybe kind of love them and then you love them. You just have to go from a like like to love. It's terrible. But in other languages, they actually have words that can describe these things better. And so the, the word for love right there where it says Jesus loved him is the highest form of the word love in Greek. It's the highest form of that word. And it's usually only attributed to God or it's only attributed to the love that is worthy to give God. And so Jesus loves this man like God does because he is God. And he gives the man a commandment. He says, okay, go sell everything and then follow me. Sell everything, give it to the poor. Follow me. And then this man, it says that he's disheartened and he goes away because he he leaves and he goes, I can't do that. I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can give up all my wealth and follow you. I, 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 I like it too much. See, Jesus, Jesus isn't giving a new commandment. He's not giving a new way to say like, hey, this is how you get to heaven. Also sell all your stuff. What he's doing for this man in this moment is he's pointing out where this man's childlike faith ends. He's taking time to say, hey, your, your security in me ends with your wealth. You really find your security in all of your wealth. And Jesus loves him, and that's why he points it out. He loves him, and he says, no, this is an idol for you. This is something you put above me. This is something you put above God is your wealth. And so that's why Jesus points it out to him, not to say, hey, here's how you really get saved, is also sell everything, was but for this man, he said, your wealth, give it all away. This is your idol. This is the thing that is keeping you from having childlike faith. And I think, man, I, I feel convicted by this idea of wealth. And I think a lot of us here, too, because we're, we're the richest country, like, in the world, I think. And maybe my stats are wrong on that. But we all have things that many parts of the world don't. And I can, I can relate to this man feeling security in his wealth. Like, recently, over the last year and a half, right, so I had a baby, and I used to have a car that was a Hyundai Accent. If you have a—anyone have a Hyundai Accent in here? Raise your hand. No? Well, you don't because they're so small. And they're literally the smallest car in the world. And uh, they're like, smart cars are bigger. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and I had this Hyundai accent, and then when I had a baby, what I realized is the car seat couldn't really fit correctly in this car because that's how small it was. So I was like, I got to maybe get a bigger car. I don't know. I got to figure this out. And so what I began to do is I posted my car on Craigslist, and I would trade it. And so... Eventually, uh, try to trade it. And so eventually I traded it for a Ford Explorer. <laughs> that thing's like a boat. All right, so I, I jumped to this Ford Explorer. Only problem, though, with this Ford Explorer is engine, wonderful. Door handles, everything inside, terrible, right? I, and I, some, one of my friends, a terrible friend, Nathan Padron, he's like, oh, we can, rep- we can replace the door handles. It's easy. We tried couldn't. And so I had to leave my window down and reach in. And there's weather here. So I had to be like smart about where I parked or when I parked and left the window down. And you know, like I couldn't leave anything of value in there. And, and so I had this Explorer for like almost a year. My wife, I think, hated me for it. And eventually I was like, I'm putting this one on Craigslist, see what I could get. And 
I put it on Craigslist, and I get a Ford Escape, like a smaller version of the same car, but the handles worked. And so everything was way better in this car. And now sometimes when I drive around town in this new Ford Escape, which is really not that nice of a car anyways, uh, I feel this weird sense of security. Like, I, I don't know if you guys ever feel that. Like, where you just feel, like, something just makes you feel, like, so good. Like, where you're like, man... I could take on anything, right? Like, me and my Ford Escape, like, we got this, right? That, but that's truly what I feel in my heart. Like, I feel so much weird contentment in my heart for this stupid piece of junk car that I have, but it is wealth that I have that I'm putting in the place of Jesus. It's wealth that I have that I've, makes me feel more secure than Jesus does. And so I think in that moment, if I were to approach Jesus and I said, Jesus, I grew up in the church. I did all this stuff. I, have, I haven't been a bad boy. I think he would have said, Anthony, sell your Ford Escape. And I'd be like, hold up, bro. <laughs> like, I'll sell, you want me to sell my wife's car? I could do that. But I really like this Ford Escape. And I think Jesus is in this business of rooting out our idols, rooting out these things that we find more security in than we find in him. And, and, and for you, maybe you're not connect, connecting with me. Maybe you're like, Anthony, you are so petty loving that Ford Escape. But I want to ask you a question like, what if Jesus came up to you? And, and, and be realistic about it. Don't be like, I would totally follow him. No, you wouldn't. Um, <laughs> what is the thing that if Jesus today even just said, hey, I want you to give up everything and follow me? What is the thing that where you go, oh, I can give up everything except this. I can give up everything except this one thing. What is that thing? What is that thing in your life that is almost impossible for you to give up? You know, Jesus isn't in the business of just taking every good thing away from us, but he is in the business of revealing our idols. And so I'm asking you, what is the thing that you put above Jesus? What is the thing that makes you feel more secure than he does? And, um, you know, it could be a relationship. It could be a thing. It could be a job. It could be all kinds of items. But what is that one thing for you? What is the thing that it would be where you could say, okay, Jesus, I can do all this. I can, I can get rid of all this except this. What is that thing? Jesus wants you to see that he is truly the only secure thing in your life. Jesus, Jesus is truly the only secure thing in your life. Jesus is truly the only thing that can make you feel content in your life, that everything else is not as secure as he is. Not just in this world, but into eternity. He is far more secure than, secure than anything in this world. And I think in this next part, uh, of the text, I think Jesus wants to make it even more apparent how we cannot be secure in ourselves or secure in our things. Verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to him, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus continues to teach. And as this man walks away, this rich man, he goes, Man, it is really difficult 
for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. It is difficult to enter into eternity with God for rich people. I've read texts that, um, that try to say, you know, oh, in that, the, the, so that, well, so that, well, before I go there, Jesus, he says, okay, it's so hard that, that it's as, it's as difficult as a camel, huge, getting through the eye of a needle, right? This little, and if you don't know what an eye of a needle is, a needle that you use to sew has a little hole in the top so you could tie the string, I don't know, and sew with it. I don't know how it works after that. I've just seen the movies. Um, Jiminy Cricket, doesn't he do that? I don't know. Uh, and so Jesus saying, it is harder for a rich person to get into heaven than it is for a camel to be smashed through this little hole. Which is pretty comical. Like, I, think Jesus was, I think Jesus was a little bit of a troll. Do you guys think that? Like, I, think he, I think he was sometimes. Especially these past two texts. He's like, I'm going to troll hard today. But... And so he says, it, it, you can't, that, that's, how, that's how difficult it is. And I've seen some uh, people interpret this text and they try to say, okay, the needle, uh, the eye of the needle and camel going through, it is really a gate in Jerusalem. And then, and then the camel just had to be, like bend down and get under the gate. It was just, this is how hard it is, is what Jesus was trying to say. And then another, I saw another where they said, the camel actually means rope. It's just rope through a needle. I'm like, a big old rope through a needle? That's really hard too. Like, you have to have like really thin script. Like, I just feel like there was two really rich people that love God and they were like, I don't like this text. I'm going to figure out how to interpret it differently. And, and, and what I think it really is, I think it really is, and commentaries back me up, is I think Jesus was saying, a literal camel through an eye of a needle. And this is crazy, right? This is a crazy analogy. But I think Jesus, again, is just trying to say, this is how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. You can't do it. You cannot enter the kingdom of God on your own. And, and the disciples are freaking out, and we see this in verse 26. And they were exceedingly astonished, maybe at his trolling, and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Amen. Bless me, Lord. And, and so Peter, starting to feel this day, or one of the disciples, starting to feel this day, just says, God, how is this possible? I am not liking you today. And Jesus says, man, this is impossible with you. It is impossible with man, but it is very much possible with God and through God's power. And so, Jesus again is trying to say, stop finding your security in yourself. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. And for some of us, that just might seem like too much. Like Jesus says, we heard earlier, like a month ago, that, that Jesus says, lose your life. And now he's saying, like, nothing, it's, it's impossible to reach the kingdom of God without him. And so, Christian or not, you might be saying, Anthony, I'm trying my best here. Or Jesus, I'm trying my best here. You're telling me that when I face you at the judgment seat, that, that my best is not going to be good enough. And I have to say that, yes, that is what Jesus is saying that your best is not good enough. But even Peter was starting to freak out in verse 28. And he says this. He says, Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. 
And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And so... Jesus says, man, okay, I I get that you're kind of freaking out here. I get that I'm asking a lot. I get that I'm saying I'm better than everything. But I'm so much better than everything that when you do make these sacrifices, I'm going to give you so much more. That there are so many more blessings found in me and through me than anything else. All You can give away all the wealth in the world, all the lands in the world, all the family in the world to follow me, and I will give you more. I will give you a hundredfold more. I will give you so much more because that's who God is and that that is what God does. I think sometimes though we can walk away from this text and we get this idea in our head like, okay, I gotta be more childlike. I gotta really will my heart to be more childlike. Or we walk away and we go, man, I gotta sell all my stuff. I gotta live simply. I gotta do this. I have to make these sacrifices so that Jesus blesses me in all these ways. And I think we're not getting it if that happens because it's not about our sacrifice. And and, and in perfect timing, Jesus says this in the rest, in the next passage. He says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed him were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Saying, see, we are going to be going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. This is the third time Jesus said this. And he almost always keeps predicting his death every time the disciples aren't getting something. Or he predicts it right before the disciples aren't getting something. And I think if we walk away from the text today and we say, man, I gotta force my heart to like Disneyland, I think we're not getting it. Or if we walk away and go, I got to sell everything, we're not getting it. Because what Jesus is saying is, Man, he is making a way for us to be saved. That Jesus is saying, you cannot be saved in your own strength. You cannot save yourself. You need to look at me. You need to reach out to me. You need to say, I broke it. I broke it, God. And he did this. The way that he saved us is, is through what he said. Is he, he died on the cross. He lived a perfect life. Think of how much sacrifice Jesus made for, for us. Like it, It's an audacious call that Jesus is saying, man, give up everything, lose your life, sell everything, and do all these things when he's telling people their different idols, or he tells the disciples, drop your nets, follow me. It's crazy to hear, and even us today, we go, I don't know if I can follow Jesus like that, and I think the problem is we don't see that Jesus has sacrificed far more than we could ever sacrifice, right? Jesus is God. Jesus came to earth and limited himself and became fully man, So we got Jesus, who is fully man and fully God. And then if I was fully man and fully God, I would be torching some fools left and right, right? I would just be legitimately murdering people. And Jesus 
He lives a perfect life, though. He, he says, no, I need to show them that who I am. I need to show them my character, that I am perfect. And he lives perfectly in our place. And then he goes to the cross. He dies a death for our sins. And that was a huge sacrifice there for him because God was giving up his only son. And Jesus was taking on the wrath of God in that moment so that it wouldn't go to us. And then Jesus raised three days later. And, and he wants to share in life with you and me. That, he wants to share into eternity with you and me. That, that having trust in Jesus, that he did all those things, that's what gets us into the kingdom of heaven. And I think the real issue of why we don't have childlike hearts, or the real issue or why there are these things that we can't let go of to follow Jesus, is because we don't have an accurate view of ourselves. We don't have an accurate view of God either. Because really the accurate view of ourselves is how God views us. God sees us as broken. He sees us as helpless. He sees us as in need of a savior. And then we don't see that God sacrificed so much because he loved us. Because he's like a loving father to us doing all he can to save his children from the broken lamp. He's doing all he can to save us and love us. And, and then that's just the beautiful thing, is that whatever sacrifice we make here, our Father in heaven is going to bless us far more than we could bless ourselves here on earth. So yeah, following Jesus is difficult. Being a child before God is difficult if we don't view him correctly. We're going to have less stuff if we follow Jesus, Probably. We're going to have less accolades. We're going to have less comfort. But we'll have far more of God. We'll have eternity with God. We'll have God who's the sustainer of the universe, who is far greater than anything we could have on this earth. Now, wealth and these things aren't bad, but they're only bad when we put them in the place of Jesus. Jesus is all we need. We're helpless before him. We're helpless because of how, God, how seriously God views sin. And so God wants us to realize we're not his, his like, uh, we're not his equal. We're not these people that can do this whole list of things and then save ourselves. He wants us to realize that we can only be saved if we see him as our dad, if we see that we are helpless, if we see him and believe every word he says because every word he says is true. If we begin to see, man, I really am a kid in your eyes, God. I really am a child. And so I hope we can begin to see that. See ourselves the way Jesus sees us. I hope our hearts can begin to be more childlike. And I hope we can begin to see the idols in our lives and, 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 and maybe even get rid of them in order to follow Jesus better. Will you guys pray with me? God, we love you, and we thank you. We need you more than anything. God, I, I, I actually love that we are completely helpless. I think so much in my life, God, I feel completely helpless, and I realize it's because I've just spent a week trying to do everything on my own or solve everything on my own or follow you on my own and be moral on my own. But God, give our congregation the hearts of children. Let us be able to see you the way kids see their parents. 
Help us to realize that you are the true and greater parent for us. God, we, we need you. God, I also want to just pray for this idea of, of putting idols, whether it be wealth or things or people above you. And God, help us. Convict us right now, now Holy Spirit. Have that moment in our hearts right now, Holy Spirit, where you say, hey, give up all of this. Can you give up all of this for me? And let us be honest with ourselves about what that is, God, and what our hearts truly would do. And God, help us to give up everything to follow you. Following you and being with you is far greater than anything in this earth. And God, if we as a congregation can understand that, man, I think we really experience you and know you more and, and see you move a lot more in this city. So God, we love you, we thank you, and we need you. Amen. Now we're going to move into a time of reflection. I just want you guys to sit in your seats and just talk to God. Think about what you're learning from the text. Ask yourself that question. Is it, would 